So I am going to start off my message tonight by reading from Psalm 23. Everyone say Psalm 23. There you go. Just getting you engaged. Come on. It's rainy. It's night. You know, it's good. Psalm 23. We're going to read it together. If you have your Bibles, open it up. If you have your phone Bible, open that up. Psalm 23. Let's go there. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? So good. Such a foundational scripture that I love, that I often visit regularly just to get that reminder of who God is and who he sees me as, (laughs) his child. (sighs) Okay, so in 2010, side side sidetrack, segue, whatever. In 2010, many of you may know that my family and I, we travelled around Australia, all the way around, except for Queensland, because ironically it was flooding at that time. Crazy, right? Couldn't get in. I want to transport you all the way to Karajini National Park, WA. All right? Shout out, Karajini. I actually remember this place so vividly because it was one of the first places where I truly felt blown away by God's creation. Whew, it was good. And I remember it because honestly kind of looked like nothing exciting. It was kind of like this red dirt, open, plain. I think there's like that first photo. Yeah, red dirt, open, plain. I mean, like, it's good. It's amazing. Like, it's nice. But I mean, it's nice, you know? Like, you see that in like your outback, you know, whatever. That's the vision that you get of the outback, right? It was nothing, it was nothing like super exciting. It's kind of like this red dirt, open plain, some trees around sort of vibe. And by that point in our trip, WA, so we'd gone like across the Nullarbor, you know, counted roadkill and we'd had been on so many bushwalks, mountain climbs, little random pool in the middle of the desert swims that I think, you know, the novelty had kind of worn off. And that day, I particularly remember, like, we set up, maybe it was next day, I don't know. I was 15, as a 15-year-old girl, I remember rolling my eyes when mum told us we were going for another bushwalk. (laughs) I was like, really? All I want to do is just go in my tent and read my books and I don't want to talk to anyone and I don't want to get sweaty. I'm allergic to exercise, but that's okay. (laughs) But apparently, this was going to be amazing. So off we went. (laughs) And weaved throughout this open plain are these amazing, amazing valleys and gorges that have been created over time by the erosion of wind and water. And as you walked through these gorges and chasms, there's another photo as well coming up 
where you can see like the inside of it. Like, wow. And you like walked through places like that and also swam in places like that. So cool. And you, as you walked through them, you can literally see, like, visibly see the layers of erosion that has happened over time or even in a moment of time in a catastrophic event. And I genuinely find it, like, so amazing that something that seems so gentle and flexible, such as water, can cause the earth to split and make way for it. Like, whoa, just crazy. But... It was just amazing. Erosion. And I was just like, man, this is, and it's so unassuming on top of everything. It's just like, oh, I didn't know this was down here. And this moment, and this is what I introduced this story with, is I remember this place because I was truly blown away for the very first time at God's creation. And it gave me perspective on, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it, it talks about how all of creation just tells the glory of God. And it, it really does. <laughs> Go and travel just our country alone, let alone the countries of the world, and you see the amazing glory of God throughout it all. And he just does it just because, you know, like someone just stumbled upon that, but maybe no one ever would, but it's there. Oh, hey, thanks God. Like, you know, he's just showing off. It's all good. And, you know, here's the thing. The things of life over time or maybe in one crazy catastrophic event can cause erosion in our own hearts and in our own lives. And where once was solid rock that we were standing on, we now find ourselves in a valley. Erosion seems negative. It seems kind of damaging but it actually makes way for something more beautiful. The things that we go through in our life can seem like there is no purpose or reason that you should be going through what you're going through. There is. There is purpose. There is reason. And I want to tell you that tonight, God is forming something beautiful in you. He is making you more like Jesus. And there is no reason to be afraid of that. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know, and we know that God causes everything Good, bad, ugly, heartbreaking, stressful, amazing, ecstatic joy, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is what I want to tell you tonight. The single and most effective key to living a fearless life is the understanding that God is in control. And that he has a purpose for it all. On the mountaintops, the depths of the valley, there is purpose in every season. And when you know who is in control, you begin to see everything that happens in and around your life as part of God's plan. You live differently. Even when I walk through the darkest valley where erosion has taken place and I don't understand why I am here, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me and you have a plan. 
Your right and your staff protect and comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the title of my message tonight, if you are taking notes, is A Table in the Valley. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you prepare a table for us. In the valley, on the mountaintop, wherever we are, there is a table that we can run to, that we can receive from. And God, I pray that tonight we would be open, we would humble ourselves before you, and we would see you as the one who is in control, our sovereign God. Lord, that when water's rage and erosion happens, maybe in our life or in the lives of those around us, Lord, when we feel like everything is out of control, Lord, you are in control. And God, we submit our hearts and our lives to you today. Speak to us. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear what you are saying in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you all the way back to Genesis in the Bible to a story of a guy named Joseph. His life took so many different twists and turns. Plenty of bad things happened to him. He was like the OG series of unfortunate events. Like that was Joseph. He already was this like favoured son of Jacob Jacob over his like other 11 brothers and he had the coat to prove it. (laughs) So that's like not a good start already. Uh, Something to fear right there, like brothers, jealousy, not good. Then he starts having these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him. Oh, and then he shares it with them. Rookie mistake. (laughs) Rookie mistake. Oh, hey, guess what, guys? (laughs) No, if they weren't already ticked off, they were now ticked off. Yeah. Um, And that honestly led to tragedy, absolute tragedy. They (laughs) plotted to kill him. They dropped him down a well, cistern thing, whatever you want to call it, literally for the intent to leave him there and die. It was only because one of them had enough conscience to be like, no, I don't, I don't want this guy's blood on my hands. And so instead they decided just to sell him to like passerbys as a slave. So much better. <laughs> but the thing is there is that it's not like they could just like text him and be like, sorry, bro, like it, it was a joke. Like you're all good, right? No, like he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. Never to be heard from again. They didn't know how he was, like what happened to him. Did he die? How he's being treated? Like, no. As far as they knew, he was gone. He is dead. One thing led to another. Joseph finds himself working for Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He gets wrongfully accused of sleeping with his wife and then thrown into prison. This poor guy can't catch a break, all because he was loved. Jeez, had a rainbow coat. Poor dude. Some guys down there were having some crazy dreams that Joseph interpreted for them. One was going to die, unfortunately, but the other was going to be released and restored to his role serving Pharaoh. And sure enough, these things come to pass and he asks the one who gets released, please tell Pharaoh about me. Uh, It was a big mix up that why I'm down here. Like, it's not what you think. Please tell Pharaoh about me. But sure enough, he forgets. Great. Thanks, buddy. Helped you out there, but all right. So he stays wrongfully accused in prison with no real hope of getting out. That was it. Joseph undoubtedly was in the valley. (laughs) Reckon? (laughs) But not to fear because God had a plan. 
And Joseph got out of prison to help Pharaoh with some of his dreams, to interpret his dreams. And Joseph interprets them. He tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Pharaoh promotes the guy from criminal to like right-hand man. (laughs) Okay. And Joseph helps lead Egypt through this time of famine. See, God has a plan. He's just like that. It's good. And eventually the famine reaches all the way out to where his family was and his brothers came and bowed before him, begging for his help for food. You know, I found it really interesting reading the story of Joseph again. It's a story I've heard many, many times, told many different ways, many different revelations, gotten out of it. And I found it really interesting. There is no picture of Joseph worrying, fretting, freaking out, crying out, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, ah. And honestly, like, because it's not recorded, I, it kind of gives me the impression that he was kind of okay. Like, was he all right? The very first show of emotion that's recorded from Joseph. Sorry, I lost my place is when Joseph's brothers came to bow to him for food. After some exchange with them, the Bible says that he turned away from them and wept. Why was there not any sign of emotion before then? That's recorded. Maybe there was, you know, I don't know, I wasn't there. Maybe there was, or maybe there was some sort of internal battle of what he knew God to be and what was happening to him, you know, maybe some inner turmoil there. But I believe that it was at this moment when his brothers came and bowed before him where Joseph saw God's plan come to pass in his own life. The dream from all those years ago, way before all of this valley stuff happened, that dream was bowing before him right there. And he wept because of the confirmation that God had used everything in his life up until that point to change history. God had used it. He was living it. (laughs) And he could, he could have courage in the face of hatred and betrayal and prison and famine because he knew who was on his side. He knew God had a plan and he was watching it play out before his very eyes, which I guess is the perks of being able to interpret dreams. And that gave him the courage to say to the people that betrayed and hurt him the most to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I don't know if I could look my, if my brothers did that to me, them in the face and say that to them. You'd have to know that God was in it. And you know, I love the Word of God. I love it because I can see God's plan overworked, over, outworked, sorry, over years in someone's life. And it gives me hope for my own life <laughs> that God does have a plan. Even when I don't see what he's doing or understand how the circumstances that I'm facing could possibly even fit into it, 
You receive hope from these scriptures that gives you the endurance to keep walking through the valley. Joseph was in a valley, but he was seated at the table. In Psalm 23, we'll go back to verse 5. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know when you're invited to someone's house for dinner? You know, we do that. It's a thing after COVID. You should try it. (laughs) Here's some etiquette in case you've forgotten because it's been a while. You don't walk in and just take control of what's happening. Oh, it's all good. I've got dinner sorted. Like, you know, and they're like... (laughs) I invited you for dinner, like it wasn't, (laughs) try inviting me next time. Yeah, you don't take control. The host provides the dinner and the host is in control of the evening, right? Yes. Back in the times that David wrote this, here's the thing. The host was not only in control of providing the dinner, but was also responsible for protecting their guests from any danger or enemies that should pose a threat during their stay. That was the host's responsibility, to safeguard their guests. God is our host and he prepares the table and we can simply come and enjoy without fear or worry because God is our protector. No matter what is going on around us or inside of us, no matter what's happening to us, a table is prepared for us and we're invited to take a seat and let him take control. Not just of what we're having for dinner, okay? But of all the circumstances that might be posing threat in our lives. And this is the significance of this scripture. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God is saying, come in, take a load off. I've got dinner covered and I'll sort out the enemies too. Right? It's, it's kind of different. Like you eat your dinner a little more nervously when there's like a murderer outside. I don't know if I'd want to be sitting and eating dinner. God sorts it out. He sorts it out. In the valley, there can be fog. Ever experienced that on a morning run? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) I'm glad you like that joke. (laughs) There can be fog. You can't see where you're going. In the valley, you can't always see a way out. In the valley, you're surrounded literally, by things that are bigger than you. In the valley, you are vulnerable and you are exposed. But at the table, we fix our eyes on Jesus. At the table, the things of the world grow strangely dim. At the table, we're reminded who our provider is. At the table, we remember to be grateful for what has been given. And at the table, we are reminded that God is for us. And so who can be against us? At the table, there, my friends, is no room for fear because his perfect love casts out all fear. And at the table, we remember who is in control. And remember what I said earlier, the simple, single and most effective key to living a fearless life is that understanding that God is in control. Are you seated at the table? 
Or are you running around like a headless chicken trying to fight your own battles? Are you feeling out of control or do you feel safe in the arms of the one who is in control? I'm going to take you a little further down Romans 8 from verse 31. It says, What shall we say about such wonderful things such as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since we, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Come on, God. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. When we go through the valley, it does not mean that God's forsaken us. It means that we've got to find the table and sit at it and let him fight our battles for us so that we get his victory, not just our own. You know, last Sunday morning, Pastor Shu spoke a word and he said, danger is everywhere, fear is optional. Don't you love that? I love that. Danger is everywhere, but fear is optional. To have real, authentic courage, it means you actually have to have something to fear. But you choose courage instead. (laughs) Courage is not something that we muster up with all of our might Courage is something that's given to us and that we must walk in. Courage does not come from you. It comes from Him. Courage is not about what I do or don't do. Courage is about seating myself at His table and locking eyes with Him. You know, when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, I'll get the team to come up. When Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt... God hardens Pharaoh's heart one last time. And Pharaoh and his army start pursuing the Israelites. And they are freaking out. The Israelites are. Of course they are. (laughs) Silly. They're freaking out and they're saying silly things like, Moses, we didn't even ask you to come and save us. Like, just, it's all good. I'd rather be a slave in Egypt than die in the desert. They're saying silly things. And Moses, right before, right before, God tells him to lift up his staff, plunge it into the water and split the Red Sea so that they can walk through. And Pharaoh's army is swallowed by water. Right before that, in Exodus 14, 14, Moses says to the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I feel like that's what God is saying to us tonight. Because in the valley, it's an opportunity for God to make something new in us. In the valley, God humbles us. And in the valley, God is glorified. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, it says... My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, 
in persecutions, in difficulties, in the valley. I delight there because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Then His power, His strength has the opportunity to shine through me. Because when I'm seated at the table, I remember who He is. And at the table, we remind ourselves that He causes everything to work together for our good. And it's important to remember that He causes it. It doesn't just work itself out. No, no, no. He causes it. And I say that because valleys aren't forever. You know, that's why they're a valley, because you'll reach the top. Valleys aren't forever. But it's important that when you get to the other side of the valley, that you give God the glory because He causes those things to work together for our good. A little further down in Romans 8, it says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not the valleys. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you. He loves you enough, not just to give you a good feed, but to just silence the world, to drown out the thing. I don't know if you get the same picture that I get, but I literally imagine myself just seated at this table and around me there's like spears flying and like blood and guts going everywhere. And I'm just like enjoying some dinner with Jesus, you know. I don't know if you get that same picture, but a table in the presence of my enemies, that's the picture that I get. The world is crazy. It still is crazy right now. But I can be still. I can rest because He's in control. He is my host. He is my provider. But more than that, He's my protector. And so why do I need to be afraid? I don't. I don't need to be afraid. Now, I don't know what valley you're facing at the moment. Or maybe you're on a mountaintop and that's great. But I do know that when fear takes hold of our heart, it is an indication that we do not have a clear picture that God is in control. When fear takes hold of our heart, we do not have a clear picture that God is in control. We've forgotten to allow Him to wash us with His perfect love that casts out all fear. We've been fighting our own battles and neglected to sit at the table and just let Him fight for us. I want to read you this quote. Um, I'm reading her book at the moment um, from Lisa Turkhurst. And it's a book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. And I'll tell you, it's a game changer. Read it. And she says this, My trust gets built when I see God's work with my human eyes. But what builds my faith is when I can't see or understand what He does. Instead, 
I choose to place my trust in who He is and declare Him good in the midst of all the unknowns. And in an act of faith, I want to do something tonight. I want to open this altar as a table tonight. And in an act of faith for yourself, despite the valley you may be in, coming forward in recognition of who is in control. That God is in control. And maybe you can't see, maybe you don't know, but stepping out and symbolically sitting at the table and resting in His presence and allowing Him to take control from you. Allow God to speak to you however He wants to and for you to rest in the arms of your Saviour at the table in the valley. And I want to pray for us and then the team's going to lead us. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And during this time, if you do feel led to come forward, almost as a symbol to God saying, yeah, God, I think I've been fighting my own battles. Come forward. I'm, I'm going to be standing right here at the front with you. I'm going to pray. God, oh God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. And God, I say you are in control. Lord, take the reins. Take the wheel. (laughs) I don't want to fight my own battles anymore. I just want to be still in your presence. God, I pray that I would get a visual representation of where you are. Jesus, that I would see myself seated at your table. And God, that in that place, that something would break, that fear would break. And God, that I would have courage, Lord, knowing that you are in control courage that you have it all planned out. Lord, the good, the bad, the ugly, the overwhelming, Lord, the lack of direction, the unknown. God, that you are there in the storm and you provide, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Lord, when arrows and spears and blood and guts are flying around me, God, you, you are in control. I trust you, God. And Lord, take this as a symbol of faith, as an act of faith to say, I need you. I need you. I'm dependent on you. Thank you, Jesus.